Guys, we're going to get into it today, uh, into Psalm 110. Man, guys, in Scripture, Jesus is referred to as the Lion and the Lamb. The Lion and the Lamb. He's a powerful king, and he's a sympathetic priest. My favorite author, Tim Keller, my favorite author, Tim Keller, says this in regards to the Lion and the Lamb. In Jesus, we find infinite majesty, yet complete humility, perfect justice, but boundless grace, absolute sovereignty, yet total submission, all sufficiency in himself, yet total trust and dependence on the Father. He is the Lion and the Lamb. Guys, in Psalm 110, we see Jesus as the Lion. We see him as the lion today. But I want to say this, we can't see him clearly and fully as the lion unless we also see him as the lamb. We need both. If we have just one of them, then we're not really seeing who Jesus exactly is. We need the lion and we need the lamb. So we're going to look at the lion today and we're going to look at the lamb as well. Guys, Psalm 110 is one of the most quoted Old Testament scriptures in the New Testament. One of the most quoted Old Testament scriptures in the New Testament. Why was this scripture drawn upon so much by the New Testament writers? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of them record a striking conversation that Jesus has with the Pharisees in which Jesus directly and boldly attributes Psalm 110 to himself. Now, in that day, that's bold. That is bold. Why? Why is this the most quoted Old Testament scripture in the New Testament? Man, 1,000 years prior to the coming of Jesus, this scripture here, it boldly proclaims Jesus. Boldly proclaims Jesus. And for New Testament writers, this, was, this scripture was ammunition. It was ammunition to show who Jesus was in a way that they could understand in a way that the Jews of that day, because they know the Old Testament Scriptures, they know Psalm 110. They know it like the back of their hands. So they used this Scripture as ammunition to show them who Jesus is in a way that they could understand. Man, I want to present Psalm 110 in a way that you can better understand. In a way that you can understand. Now, in that Scripture that you see, there's a lot of, like, lords, the Lord says to my Lord, and a lot of lords and, and yous and yours and he's. Well, we can't properly go through this scripture without understanding uh, the Hebrew of this scripture. I had to do this. So I want to read to you a modified version of Psalm 110 that's taken in the, the, the Hebrew language into account. And I think what we're going to see is an incredible, incredible thing here in Psalm 110. And it's going to be on the screen. This is the modified version. This is after taking in, the, the, in account uh, the Hebrew text. What it's saying is this. It's saying the Father says to the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Father sends forth from Zion the Son's mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. The Son's people will offer themselves freely on the day of his power. In holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Father has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Father is at the Son's right hand. 
The sun will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. The sun will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. The sun will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. The sun will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Guys, what we have here is a striking, striking prophecy from King David of God the Father talking to God the Son. What we're seeing here is like kind of a conversation between the first two people of the Trinity, God the Father and God the Son. Guys, this is a striking scripture, and I want you to see that today. I want you to see that here in Psalm 110. Now here's some brief play-by-play of what's going on exactly here. And then we're going to get into some application. But verse 1, you see here, the lamb. The lamb has been slain. Jesus has been slain. And after his crucifixion and resurrection and ascension, the father tells the son that his work is well done and that he may sit at his right hand, which is a place of power and a place of strength. And he's going to lay and wait. He's going to lay and wait. Verse 2. A time is going to come when the Father will give the green light. That time is going to come when the Father gives the green light and he's going to hand the scepter to the Son. The scepter is the symbol of the king's right and power to defeat his enemies and rule. And rule. At this appointed time, the lion will conquer and establish his rule over his enemies. And it's at this time that the Father will make the Son's enemies a footstool for his feet. Guys, verse 3, when the Son descends again to battle, those who believe in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ will offer themselves freely to him in this. They will offer themselves freely to him. And you see in verse 4, the Father, he, he tells the Son, you are a priest of the order of Melchizedek. And the Father, he's not going to change his mind. He will not change his mind. He will not reconsider his, his paths and his commitments to his redemptive plan. He will be a priest like Melchizedek. He's going to be a king priest. He's going to hold two offices, king and priest. He's going to be a priest for all nations, not just a priest for Israel. Like Melchizedek, he's going to be a priest for all nations, for all nations. And his reign would be without beginning and without end, just like Melchizedek. Melchizedek is from the book of Genesis. And he has an encounter with Abraham. Verses 5 and 6. Earlier, the son sat at the, at the father's right hand. Earlier, the son sat at the father's right hand. Now we see here, when the son comes again, the father is at his right hand. The father is at his right hand. The son will act in complete strength and power and will overturn corruption completely. And finally, he will overturn he will overcome sin. He, he will take it all away and wipe it off the earth and make all things new. He will completely destroy corruption on earth. He will put away those who did not ally with him by faith in his gospel. He will put them away. And it will come upon all nations. All nations, not just Israel. It will come upon all nations. And notice the Lord's people aren't in the picture anymore here at verses 5 and 6. It's because this is the Son's battle. It's His battle that He's going to fight. 
and he's going to win. It's his alone. In verse 7, at some point, the son, the lion, is going to break and rest and refresh himself. He's going to lift up his head in confidence. Guys, what on earth does this mean for us today? (laughs) As I was preparing this, I was like, wow. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This is like a lot to take in. And I'm 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 not going to lie. When I read this, I was like, man... This is a hard scripture to take in. How, how can I soften this up a little bit? How can I soften this up a little bit? And that's just the flesh talking. You know, how can I make this warm and fuzzy for people? But man, I can't. I can't make this warm and fuzzy for you. And I can't make it warm and fuzzy for myself. These are some of the scriptures that we confront in, 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 in scripture that we need to tackle and we have to have a good understanding of these scriptures and who Jesus is and what this stuff means. Guys, I want to talk to you about three things. I want to talk to you about holiness and I want to talk to you about humility and I want to talk to you about hope. Holiness, humility, and hope. I want to talk to you about hu- holiness, guys. Psalm 110 shows us what's at stake. Holiness. Holiness. Holiness is what's at stake. I want to take you back to the Garden of Eden, the beginning of humanity. The beginning of humanity. It was a perfect place of flourishing and fulfillment and joy and holiness. Everything was perfect and holy. But because of their disobedience to God, Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden. Holiness left humanity. Holiness left humanity. And as, as, as Adam and Eve left the garden, they turned around and they saw a flashing sword at the entrance of the garden. A flashing sword at the entrance of the garden. The flaming sword. It barred the way back into the presence of God. It barred the way back into the presence of God. It blocked anybody who would want to come back in to the presence of God. Nobody could get back into the presence of God unless they went under that sword. Unless they went under that sword. Unless they paid for the wrong that was done. The flaming sword is the sword of eternal justice. And it will not fail to exact payment. It won't fail. Guys, do you have a hard time with God's justice? Do you have a a hard time with God's wrath? You have a hard time with the wrath that you see here in this scripture because a lot of people, many of you, may be asking, man, if God is love, how can he be a God of wrath? If God is love, how can he do this? How can he be a God of wrath? And I want to point to you guys just a couple arguments. There's so many arguments for this. And I just want to point out like three concisely, and then we're just going to move on. Guys, I want you to think about this, this first thing. Don't you think it's interesting how we make room for ourselves to desire and to seek justice. But then when it comes to God, we don't allow God to be a God of justice. We don't allow him to be a God of wrath. But we can. We're allowed to. I'm allowed to just want wrath upon somebody, to want justice on somebody. But God's not allowed to. The God who created the heavens and the earth He's not allowed to. Guys, think about that for a second. One reason we seek justice is because we're made in the image of God. We're all made in the image of God. We have God's imprint on us. 
Because God is just, we are just. A lot of times, all we have to do is just look into our own hearts and why do we do the things we do and seek the things we seek and desire the things we desire? And a lot of that is because we're made in the image of God. We seek justice. We seek wrath. Because we're made in the image of God and God is just. God is a God of wrath. Guys, think about this too. Man, if you want a loving God, if you want a loving God, you have to have an angry God. You have to have an angry God if you want a loving God. People get angry because of their love. Do, they, do we not? Do we not? Because we love somebody so much, we get so angry. The closer we get to somebody, the closer we get, and, and the more we love them, the more we love them, the more angry we get. <laughs> I'm experiencing this in my own family, in my own marriage. I love my wife and I love my kids, but man, I get angry because I love them. Guys, God's anger is a function of his love. It's a function of his love and his anger is perfectly justified. God loves everything he has made because his capacity for love is so much greater than ours. So is his wrath. So is his wrath. Guys, remember, holiness is at stake. If God is loving, he must, he must be angry at evil and sin. He must. He must. And because evil and sin are in us and he loves us, it's close to home for him. It's up close and personal for God. Guys, the lamb was slain. The lamb was slain because the lion loves does that make sense? The lamb was slain because the lion loves. You can't have the lamb without the lion. You can't have love without wrath. You cannot, you can't. And guys, think about this, this third thing. If you don't believe in a God of wrath, then you have no idea of your value to God. You have no idea your value to God. When somebody you love and value is threatened or jeopardized, what happens? You get fired up, right? You get fired up when somebody you love is jeopardized or threatened because you value them so much. That's what it is for God. Guys, your conception of God's love and your value to him will only be as big as your understanding of his wrath. If you don't understand God's wrath and if you don't accept his wrath, you cannot know just how much he loves you. You can't know how much he values you. We need both. Guys, so who could survive the flaming sword? Who could survive the flaming sword, the sword of eternal justice? The sword of eternal justice. Guys, if we're guilty and nobody can survive the sword, how will we ever get back into the presence of God? How? Somebody holy and innocent. Remember, holiness is at stake. Somebody holy and innocent must go under the sword in our place. And who did that? Thank you. Jesus. Guys, you are so valuable. So valuable that God, in love, directed his wrath upon himself in Christ so we could escape eternal wrath. 
And we don't have to go under the sword, which we will not survive. So we could go escape the sword. Guys, Jesus went under the knife. He was cut off. Jesus took the sword for you and me. The sword claimed its victim. It claimed its victim. The innocent one absorbed cost incurred by the guilty. On the cross, Jesus became sin. He became sin. And holiness left him. Holiness left him so holiness could return to us. What an amazing, amazing God that he is. In Christ, holiness returns to humanity and humanity can now return to the presence of God. The garden is wide open. The door is open. The door is open. Through Christ, the garden reopened to anybody who identifies with God's atoning work in Christ. All nations, anybody, can re-enter the garden. Guys, in Christ you are holy. In Christ you are holy not because you have no sin, but because Jesus' sanctifying holiness is in you. It's attributed to you. And then it sanctifies you. And it grows you. And it makes you holier and holier and holier until one day we're in the presence of God and His holiness. Guys, Jesus is the Lamb that went under the sword for us. But He is the Lion who now holds the sword. He is the Lion who now holds the sword. It's what we're seeing here in Psalm 110. We see in Psalm 110, if we don't have the Lamb, if we don't have the Lamb to make us holy, then we're going to get the Lion. We're going to get the Lion if we don't have the Lamb. Guys, I want to talk to you about humility. Humility. Guys, seeing the lion in, in Psalm 110 should humble us. It should humble us, and, and this humility should flow out into our lives. Guys, I have an enemy in my life. I have an enemy right now in my family, my own family. A marriage is destroyed because of him. This marriage is decimated. My sister has been abused. These kids' futures are affected for good. I have an enemy in my family manipulating and telling lies. Telling lies. It's wreaking havoc on them. It's wreaking havoc on my parents. It's wreaking havoc on my wife and I. And because it's so close to home, because it's so close to home, it's so up close and personal, I have wrath. I feel wrath in my mind. I want wrath to come upon him. I want justice upon his head. I feel it in my heart, like Jonah, who wanted judgment on Nineveh. I've repented for wanting judgment. I'm repenting every day for wanting judgment upon his head. There's nothing more humbling than the restraint God is calling me to. Nothing more humbling than the restraint that he's calling me to. I'm learning just what it means to love my enemy. Just what it means. Guys, despite the, the wrath in my mind, my heart knows. Despite the wrath in my mind, my heart knows that my weapons are love and humility. Love and humility and grace and truth and service and restraint. 
and compassion. It's the hardest thing. God doesn't want people to fall under His wrath, so I shouldn't want Him to fall under His, under his wrath. But man, that's hard. When I see what's happening with my family, I shouldn't want that on His head. And I repent of it every day. Guys, He wants people to know Christ. So I should want people to know Christ. And I should be Christ. No matter what. No matter what it takes. I should want him to know Christ. We're living in a period right now of cosmic restraint. This restraint that I'm feeling, that I'm feeling, this is what God is doing right now. He loves us so much, and we're in this period of cosmic restraint. He's holding back. The Son is at the right hand of the Father, and He's waiting. He hates evil, and He hates sin. And He's watching it and seeing all this happen. But He's restraining He's staying put. He's giving us an opportunity to know Christ. He's giving us an opportunity to know Christ. Guys, in Christ, the lion and the lamb are being reproduced in us. In Christ, they're being reproduced in us. Increasing zeal for God's kingdom on earth. Man, I'm feeling that. But also, pursued in humility and love and grace and truth and restraint and compassion. I feel the lion and the lamb inside of me. I feel it. Guys, my enemy is not my enemy. Your enemy is not your enemy. Whatever it is, somebody in your family, whatever your struggle is, your addiction, it's not your enemy. It's God's enemy. It's His enemy. And we must submit our enemies to Him and trust Him with our enemies. And our job Our job is to be a lamb. Our job is not to be a lion. Our job is to be a lamb. To sacrifice. To show compassion to our enemies. You have no idea how hard it is. And to love our enemies. And to show grace to them. And not turn that lion on them. Guys, justice is Jesus' lot, not mine. And the wrath of God that we see here in Psalm 110, this should be humbling. Guys, if our knees don't bow today, I hope our hearts bow today. Guys, I want to talk to you about hope. We've talked about holiness, what's at stake. We've talked about humility, how we're called to walk. We're called to be a lamb, not a lion. Guys, I want to talk to you about hope. In Psalm 110, we should garner much hope in seeing this lion side of Jesus. A lot of us would read this be like, whoa. I don't see any hope in there. Man, there is so much hope. So much hope here. David, the recipient of this prophecy, the author of this psalm, his life was filled with blessing, but it was filled also with sorrow and with suffering. Does that sound familiar? All of our lives are filled with blessing and are filled with sorrow and with suffering. Mine are too, man. We're not perfect as pastors. You see us here, we're not... Guys, we're just like you. We have sorrow and suffering in our lives. Guys, look at David. His son killed his other son. Think about that. Can you imagine... Ezra, can you imagine Emma just killing Eloise? Can you imagine that? David 
was experiencing his own offspring. His son kills his other son. Imagine that. And his son tried to usurp his throne. His son tried to usurp his throne. He was constantly pursued by neighboring enemies. People hated David because they hated Israel. Constantly pursued by his enemies. This prophecy would have been a great encouragement for David. I don't know if he got it when he was sleeping. I don't know what was happening when he got it. But when he got it, I think he was jumping up and down. Jumping up and down with hope for what he was experiencing. Guys, like David, our lives are filled with blessing, but also sorrow and suffering. David was a man after God's heart, and his landing spot was not himself. His landing spot was not the world. It wasn't stuff like, I don't know, like material things. It wasn't sex or drugs or alcohol. It wasn't acceptance or approval from other people. It was God. That was his landing spot. Nothing else. It was God himself. It was always God and his hope and his expectation of a Messiah. And he knew there was going to be a Messiah. He believed. He had faith. He had faith in that Messiah before he even came. Now we have the Messiah on this side of the cross. We know him. We know his words. Where's our faith? David was a man after God's heart. Guys, what's your landing spot? If you don't have the lamb, the lion is against you. If you have the lamb, here's the hope. The lion is for you. Think about that. The lion capable of what you see here in Psalm 110 is the lion that's capable of doing amazing things through you. That same lion up there is for you. He's for you. He was for David. David knew the lion was for him and his hope was in that. Where's your hope? Guys, the hope of Christ, it's not just like this weird, mysterious, floating concept. The hope of Christ is a living, flesh and blood hope with character, with hands, with feet, with a face. That's how real that this hope is. This hope is a real, actual thing standing right in front of us, breathing on us, and loving us in Jesus. Guys, Jesus came as a lamb, not with a sword in His hands, but with nails. With nails in His hands. He didn't come to, to bring judgment. He came to bear judgment. But Jesus will come again as a conquering lion. We see that in Psalm 110. He didn't come the first time bringing judgment. He came bearing it. But He will come again to bring judgment on those who are not identifying themselves with God's atoning work in Christ. Guys, holiness is at stake. Holiness is at stake. Can you sit here right now and think, man, without Christ, without His holiness and obedience attributed to me, as I am, can I sit with God in the midst of God's glory and His holiness? As I am, will I be able to do it? Every single head should be nodding no. No. 
No. Guys, in Christ, holiness returns to us. Guys, in Christ, God is at our right hand. He's, our, our hand is a place of strength and of power because of God. In Christ, God is at our right hand, making us strong. Guys, a lion, but humble like a lamb. Guys, in Christ, we have real hope. We have real hope in, in the things that we're experiencing in our lives, in the sorrow and the suffering. Guys, there's a plan. There's a redemptive plan in all of it. And God is bringing it all through. Guys, your enemies and whatever's oppressing you, I don't know, your thoughts. I have thoughts that oppress me. Guys, habits or struggles or whatever your enemy is. It could be an actual person like me and my family. Whatever it is, they will be crushed one day. They will be crushed. They have no power over you. Guys, in Christ, your enemies and what's oppressing you are not your footstool. Your enemies are not your footstool. They're God's footstool. They're Jesus' footstool. Your addiction is a footstool. Your despair is a footstool. Whatever it is, your struggle is his footstool. And next time you find yourself resting your feet on a footstool, I want you to look at that footstool. Be like, that is my enemy in Christ. Look at that footstool with your feet on top of it and think, that is my enemy. My enemy has no chance. My enemy has no power. My enemy is under God's feet. Guys, in Christ, we're going to share in the refreshment. We're going to share in the refreshment of the brook. And, and we're going to lift our heads high when all is said and done. Let's pray.